Hey. Hey, Alex. Hey, Francis. What's up? I'm much with us sitting here in a Fort Swiffer and vacuum. Yeah, we. A few people have told us that our first episode was kind of echoey, and we decided to make a fort to try to produce on the echo. I haven't made a fort since I was probably five, and I've lost all skill that I had with that. Well, neither of us were engineers. That's our problem. I mean, I was a chemical engineer for a while. Yeah, but did did you hear that sentence? You were for a while, but clearly not great at it. Just kidding. Uh, Anything new happened this week? Nope. Nothing I can speak of. That's cool. (laughs) I was, you know how good ideas come to you when you're in the shower, when you're in the car, when you're laying down? Yeah. For bed or sure. whatnot. I was thinking about it in last episode I said that I was drinking out of a plastic cup, a plastic glass with a cat on it, mm-hmm. right? A black and white cat. Right. And I said I'm drinking box wine out of a glass with a cat on it and that's like the peak of life, right? Yeah. Well I was driving the car the other day and I thought I have to make this a thing. So I decided to drink my box wine out of the same cup again because it's a really cool cup. And then I thought to myself, cat plus cat plus glass equals class. Like you take the C from the cat and the glass and you get class. And therefore I know that a cat glass is the pinnacle of glass. Yeah, I cannot argue with that, with that sound. English logic. Hi, Callie. <laughs> we're, we're recording right now. Can you go lay down, please? No. No, this is our fort. You can't... No, you, this is our fort. You can't be in here. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it's legit. I have to keep using the cat glass. Um, have you named the cat that's on your glass? Um, No. I can take suggestions, though. I'll have to post a picture so people can... Yeah, we'll post a picture of the the class, the cat glass, and you can suggest names for the cat on it. And I hope that one day, maybe, it's an actual glass with a cat on it. I said that in the first episode, but I know it's technically a cup, but cat plus cup still gets you cup. If you're taking the C from cat and the rest of the word, oh. it still gets you cup. Okay. So I can't keep, well, I can't yeah, go with that. Wasn't really sure where you were going with that one. Um, but yeah, episode two, here we are. Here we are. Um, yeah, hopefully Swiffer Fort will help with future, uh, future episodes. Oh, I hope we don't need the Swiffer Fort for future episodes. I don't think we'll, I don't think we'll last that long physically. <laughs> I, I really don't. I don't know if we'll last tonight. You know, there's only one way to find out, and that's by doing. Um, so you went first last week. Yep. So I am going to go first this week. Sounds good. Yeah, so start off right off the bat. Um, the person I selected, or the murderer that I selected for this week, is Catherine Mary Knight. Oh, you went with a woman this week. Um, yeah, so Catherine Mary Knight. Um she is an Australian murderer. Some of the newspapers in Australia, I found out while researching Catherine Knight, named nicknamed her Hannah Lecter. 
Hannah Lecter. Yeah. Hmm. So that might give you an idea of hmm. what's to come. Hmm, Hannah Lecter. But her name's not Hannah. No, it's Catherine Mary Knight. Okay. Um, Catherine Mary Knight, she was born on October 24th, 1955 in Aberdeen, Australia. And that's in New South Wales, if you are familiar with Australian geography. Wait, does she have one of those like redneck names that's like Mary Jo or like Betty Sue? Is it Catherine Mary? Catherine, what was it? Catherine Mary. Is it Catherine Mary or is it just Catherine and her middle name's Mary? Yeah, there is no hyphen. It's just oh, okay, Catherine okay. And then Mary. Okay, her name's Catherine. Then. Yeah. Okay. I was like confused. Okay. Yeah. So you know, we'll start off Barbara Ruffin and Ken Knight are Catherine's parents. Okay. Um, Barbara was actually married to Jack Ruffin, but she was having an affair with Ken Knight. Um, in the small town where they were living, Aberdeen, this was a, quite a scandalous affair. I mean, I guess most affairs are, mm-hmm. but, um, the town they were living in was pretty conservative. So news spread around pretty quickly of what Barbara and Ken were getting up to. So Catherine had two other siblings that stayed with, um, her, her dad, um, so Catherine, two other siblings, stayed with her father while Catherine was the youngest of twins that were that was born to uh, Barbara and Ken. So Jack, her actual husband, the one she married, like in court, he dies in 1959, and the two kids, the, his two kids that were living with him, came to then live with Barbara and um, Ken. So now it's a total of four kids in this one house. Two of them are. So they're half siblings. Yeah. Catherine was apparently not close with much of her family, minus her uncle Oscar, who was apparently a champion horseman. I, I don't know. I guess he was a, like a jockey. Mm-hmm. Um, but he unfortunately committed suicide in 1969. Um, so she lost like any close familiar familiar relationship she had, um, and she hold like always held this belief that his ghost would visit her, just like throughout her life. She would see her uncle, just like, and he would appear to her. Oh. Well, that's comforting, I guess. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, you know, she doesn't have really close family ties. Growing up can be a little tough for a, a young girl. I wouldn't know, I well, guess. I mean, it would be tough for anyone. Yeah. Um, but her her dad was an alcoholic who often used violence and intimidation to rape Catherine's mother up to allegedly 10 times a day. Ken, yeah. the, the 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 one she went for when she was married. Yeah, he would use uh, violence and intimidation. So Barbara would then often go on to tell her kids about these sexual exploits that, like, just the regular sexual relations she had with Ken. For some reason, she felt thought that was a great idea to tell her kids. Yeah, to tell her kids about the sex she was having. Um, but she would also tell her kids that she how much like she hated sex and men in general. Because of what the white can was treating her. Huh. That's not the right way to do the birds and the bees talk. No. Um, later, when Catherine was growing up, like when she was much older, maybe in her teens, um, her mother once told her that if a partner of hers wanted to have sex, she would. Catherine should just like buck up and just deal with it and get it over with. Oh. Even if Even if you didn't want to, just deal with it. It'll be over soon. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, her exact words are put up with it and stop complaining. She was also then sexually abused multiple times by her family members. Who um, is she? Uh, Catherine, sorry. Okay. Although they were none of, it was never her father, but just multiple members of her family apparently would sexually abuse her as a child. 
Um, this continued up until she was 11 years old. Beyond all that horrible stuff that happened to her as a kid, she was a fairly regular girl. She got good grades in school, was nice to people most for the most part, but she did have some anger problems. Um, she, there was an incident where she assaulted a student in, at school, and she also assaulted a teacher. Physically harassed? I mean, assaulted or physically sexually? assaulted? I mean, yeah. I know that sexually assaulted is also physical, but you know what I mean. From what I could find, I didn't find the actual object, but the reports say she assaulted a student with a weapon. Oh. She left school at fifteen, so she never became literate. She never learned how to read or write. Well, what fifteen-year-old doesn't know how to read or write? And that's what I found online. What are they teaching in Australia? I'm sorry. Australia in the, the 50s. 60, yeah, 60, mid 60s. I, I think Australia is probably great. I've never been. And I hope that someday we have Australian listeners. But why wouldn't she be literate at 15? I, You're I, literate at like four. I really don't know. I read books by like five. Don't most kids read by kindergarten? Yeah. Huh. I don't know. What's a couple of the stories or uh, news articles I read, and like synopses on her mentioned that she was never she never learned how to read or write. Well, there was this, and this is a small tangent, but I heard that there was a doctor who became a doctor, and got all the way to practicing, and he was illiterate and just cheated his way through. So maybe it was the same kind of situation with her, mm-hmm. that she just cheated, or harassed people into doing things. She's got a violent streak. Yeah. Yeah, which is strange because it says she has a violent streak, but she also got good grades, so I'm not sure if that's just something that's not correct about her backstory. Well, if you have a violent streak toward the smart kids. Yeah. She, they just, like, she just memorized A, B, C, A, A, D, F. Well, yeah, maybe. In terms maybe. of multiple choices or, or something. Or sit next to the right person. I was asked to do people's homework, and that was asked. Yeah. If I was physically harassed, I'd probably really do a good job. So yeah, she left school at 15. Um, she took a job as a cutter in a clothing factory. So I guess she was just cutting pieces fabric. of fabric to mm-hmm. size and stuff. Uh, a year after that, she took her quote-unquote dream job at an abattoir, a slaughterhouse, as a uh, cutting up offal or like organ meats. <laughs> That's her dream job? Hey, Alex. Tell, tell the listeners what my dream job was as a kid. Uh, I believe that was a mortician. Yeah. And here we are making a true crime podcast, and I want it to be like an undertaker. So maybe I'm getting my dream job here. You could be, yeah. But, so I get it. People have weird dream jobs. I feel like hers is foreshadowing, though. Whereas, mm. you know, I never became an undertaker. You mean you could still later in life develop a passion for undertaking. I don't know if they have like night school for... A funeral home. You could have a funeral home. Uh, Beep boop. Cutting up animals. Cutting up animals. Um, then she was quickly promoted to boning. So deboning, taking stuff out of the bones out of meats uh-huh. and animal carcasses. She would then go on to keep her those knives that she would use at that job above her bed at every place she lived until she was incarcerated eventually it's, it's she, like a really macabre wind chime yeah, where just, you just hang it hanging by the window or a really macabre dream catcher yeah 
You know, it keeps it keeps everything away. Nightmares, dreams, burglars, anything. They see a chain of knives hanging above your bed. That's like a maybe we should pick a different house kind of feel. Yeah. In 1973, I believe she was 18 at this time. She met her future husband, David Sanford Kellett. They were married the next year at uh, Catherine's request. And apparently at the wedding, uh, Barbara, Catherine's mother, told David, you better watch out for this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her <laughs> up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. <laughs> she would later then, when further on in that, that same breath, she would say, she told me she's got something loose. She's got a screw loose somewhere. Can um, you imagine if that's like the mother of the bride's speech or something? Yeah, I know. And that's like one of the first time. I don't know if that's the first time he met her, but that's still... <laughs> something that's that's basically what my mom said to you when we met right yeah um david also apparently had shown up at his own wedding on the back of Catherine's motorcycle just like blitzed he was just hammered oh boy did he remember the ceremony probably not i mean he remembered him being told that she's got a screw loose yeah so that's not a good sign that's when you say i object and you're the one at the altar yep the uh, the night of the wedding, so they got married and all went through the whole uh, reception, dinner, and all that stuff. Um, Catherine apparently tried to strangle David that night because he fell asleep after only having sex with her three times. Oh. Wow. And he's wasted. Yeah. And he's able to have sex with her three times? I mean, good on him. Yeah, but then she's like, I wanted more, so strangle him. Tried to. Tried. Well, she, yeah, she tried to. Tried to strangle him. Throughout the rest of the marriage, it was pretty violent. She was often the abuser to him. Once while she was pregnant, she burned all of his clothes because he came home late from a darts competition that he had just won. So she just burned clothes and shoes just out in front of him because he came home like an hour late. Take that, David. Next competition, you have to go naked. Um, After doing that, she then hit him on the head with a frying pan. So now she's responsible. Yeah. He did not end up pressing charges against her because he was just bullied by her to not do anything about that. You know, having no clothes now besides your, I assume you wear a bowling shirt to like a darts competition. I don't really sure what you wear. Yeah, I don't think you wear anything particular. I played this video game once where there was a darts competition and it was a Monkey Island game. You had to win in order to continue the story. I never have never been good at darts and nor have I ever really played Monkey Island. I feel like it's a win if I hit the board at all. So May 1976, uh, Catherine gave birth to their first daughter, Melissa Ann. That's also kind of like your country name. She doesn't have a hyphen, but that is more of like a country Mary Mm, Lou or... mm, 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 Betty Jo. Yeah. David then left Catherine for another woman and moved to Queensland. Okay, if he came home late and she burned his clothes, what did she do when he got another lady? Uh, shortly after that, Catherine was seen walking down the street, pushing the baby in the carriage, just rocking it violently side to side. Just like being real forceful with oh. the baby. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was not, not great for, uh, for the baby, I assume. She was then admi- admitted to a, a hospital for postnatal depression, which I assume is like postpartum depression now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and she spent a few weeks recovering there. 
So after getting released from the hospital where she was being treated, she then took her baby and placed it on a railway line. Yeah. She's really just really going for it Ugh. at this point. And then went into town with a stolen axe and began threatening to kill multiple people. Did she just leave the baby? Yeah, they left the baby on oh. the railroad tracks. Um, luckily, a local man uh, known as Old Ted found the baby, or saved, found Melissa and saved her a few minutes before the train came she was then committed uh for a day but then she checked herself out a day for leaving your baby on a rail an active railroad track and then threatening to kill, kill people with an axe with what's his name old craig old ted oh, not old craig not old greg old ted good old ted he's always there when we need him um after she got out of the hospital a few days went by and then she decided you know like this isn't enough i I still need to i'm still vengeful i mean i guess that's fair too your husband left you for another woman no it's not fair you don't leave a baby on a railroad track you can't feel a little like scorn for being left but not baby on a railroad track yeah so a few days later she then slashed a woman and like took a knife and just like cut a woman and told her to drive to Queensland so she could go after uh, her husband. Mm-hmm. They drove for a little bit, and then she stopped the woman that she was, like, being basically being held hostage, stopped to get gas, so they stopped at a service station. Um, Catherine then went into another bit of a tizzy because she saw a serviceman that she knew fixed her husband's car, so she wanted to kill him because he fixed the car that allowed her husband to leave. Right. For, like, an insane person, that's, that's insane logic. You yeah. know, like, I could see that thought pattern Mm -hmm. you helped him get away i'm not saying that she's right but i could see i i I see it but as as it goes it's kind of like a no witnesses or no yeah like you are the accessory Mm -hmm. to him leaving me and the worst part of my life yeah you know this is going to cause a bit of a stir uh so that woman escaped when uh, she decided she needed to go after this guy that fixed the car Catherine then took a, a small boy hostage at the, at the service station. The police were called, and they were able to like get her, get rid of the knife, and like kind of talk her down. After like they they did all that, the police did that with using brooms. I'm not really sure how they disarmed her with. They just whacked her with brooms or something until she gave up and disarmed the knife. Or I have a few questions here. Where'd they get the brooms? I mean, is it's this a service the station. Which brigade? It's like probably like they just gotta like sweep up the garage and stuff. Oh, oh, they didn't come prepared with brooms. Unless Australians call like nightsticks brooms. Oh, let's just operate on the fact that they have regular sweeping brooms, and yeah. I would like to think that they came with them. Like in America, they keep like a shotgun in the back of the cop car. In this is Australia, a... <laughs> they keep brooms. I think that's something Canada would do. Yep. Beep boop. So then, yeah, obviously the police got have got gotten her at this point. She was then committed again. Um, in the hospital, she had told nurses that she intended to kill Kellett and his mother, so her can uh, her husband and his mother, because you know I guess his mom's nice to her and helping him, so she's got to die too. Police informed Kellett of this, and then for some reason he came back to Aberdeen to help her. To help Catherine. He moved back after the police were like, she wants to kill you and your mother. He's like, all right, I'll come back and help her. Maybe he was trying to protect his mom. Maybe. Um, Why does she keep going to a hospital and not well, it's jail? Like a psychiatric hospital, so. Yeah, I know, but still. Mm. A jail's not going to give you 
treatment. I know. That's true. So now her husband's back here, back in Aberdeen with her mo- his mother-in-law, and I guess her mother-in-law and his mom, and they had another child together. So oh. he's like, I'm going to help you. And then he's like, fell back in love with her oh. or something happened there. Mm. You know, he's aware that she's slashed a woman, took a kid hostage, threatened to kill him. Burned. Put his baby on a railroad track. Yeah. Um, so their second child was Natasha Marie. And that's Marie, spelled M-A-R-E-E. Oh. And that, she was born in March 1980. And then for four years, it seemed like they had an uneventful marriage because in 84, um, Catherine left David. So twisted it. She left him. And then she took a, she moved to a rental house and took her job back at at the slaughterhouse. Oh. 1986, Catherine met uh, David Sanders. He was a 38-year-old minor. Not a 38-year-old child, but, you know. <laughs> person that works on a mine. <laughs> He's a 38-year-old man-child. He could be like a Benjamin Button. He's never left his mom's basement. He's 38 going on 14. Also, she's got a thing for David's. Yeah. Within a few months, he, um, David moved in. Uh, with Catherine along with his two daughters from her previous marriage. So now it's a total of four children, I believe. Because yeah. I don't, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if she kept her other two daughters, but you know, they lived together, house, household of like six. But Catherine went through fits of jealousy for small things she felt slighted for. So she went through fits of like kicking him out and begging him to come back uh, for a little bit there. And in 1987, she went even further off the rails beyond, you know, putting your baby on a railroad track. She slit the throat of David's two two month old puppy in front of him as a threat against him cheating on her and then knocked him out with a frying pan. Had he cheated on her? Not yet, no. Oh, she's just saying Don't if you leave I will I'll I'll kill you, basically. But I'm gonna a puppy? I'm gonna kill your two month old puppy. No. Oh. Some sources I saw said it was a dingo puppy. Don't tell. No. Somewhere. No. Now I'm picturing it. Don't tell me that there was a name because if there was, I don't want to know. I did not see a name of, of the dog, no. Why is it that the dogs hit the hardest? Uh, June 1988. And he stayed. He stayed. Oh, of course. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. You're, now you're like, she's going to kill me if I even try to leave or Maybe she'll do something to my daughters or something. Oh, yeah. The daughters could be a big part. In June 1988, uh, Catherine had a third daughter, Sarah. And then David and Catherine bought a house together. Where were they living before? I believe this is still around Aberdeen, around where she was working at the slaughterhouse. Right. So they bought a house together, um, and she did all the interior decorations. You want to take any guesses as to how she decorated the inside of it? Skulls. Leather. Uh, yeah, both of those things are right. What she found at work. Yeah, kind of. I would I would describe it as like murderous trapper or murderous hobo. Um, she decorated <laughs> the walls with skin, skulls, rusty traps, rakes, old boots, and then various like cutting implements, axes and stuff. <laughs> Apparently, none of the walls were left blank. There was like every spot, oh. every space was filled. So now we're in... The serial killer, crazy woman version of Cracker Barrel. Yeah, and nobody has seen it yet. Maybe they have some people have some suspicions, but nobody's 
said, that woman's definitely going to kill somebody at some point. Because, you know, in Cracker Barrel, there's no wall left yep. uncovered. Yeah. And, I, like, I don't, I can't imagine this does well for the three or four girls that are now living in the house. You don't think they like living in... Murder Hobo land? No. Right. Probably not, no. So after an argument where David was hit in the face with an iron and then he was stabbed in the chest with a pair of scissors, he mm-hmm. went into hiding. Mm-hmm. He, uh, but then he had to come back because, you know, his daughters were there. Right, right. Um, he had, yeah, he came back and he found out that um, Catherine had filed like an, what they called an apprehended violence order. It's kind of like she feared threat of violence from him. So she, like, she went to the police and said, if he comes near me, like, I think he's going to try oh, to kill she's me. she's afraid. Yeah. 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 Did they believe her? Yeah, because, I mean, she got the order. Of course. Yeah. He was nowhere to be found, so I don't know which, what they, what kind of story he, she told her them, but wow. she got it. Yeah. Because after you, you stab someone in the scissors, you say, I'm afraid that he's going to. Yeah. And okay. from what I can tell, that was pretty much the end of David Saunders and uh, Catherine's relationship. Because in 1990, Knight was pregnant again from a co-worker, John Chillingworth, and they gave birth to a boy. Um, I did not see a name for that boy, but their relationship lasted for three years before she left him for her mistress, John Price. Yeah, She's had a lot of relationships. It's a real roller coaster. And a lot of kids. Yeah. With uh, a lot of different people. I think four at this point. Four from three different people, right? Yeah, I believe so. David, David, and Chillingsworth. Yeah, John Chillingsworth. So the man she left John for, his name is John Price. So, you know, David, David, John, John. <laughs> she's, got, she's got some kind of She's got type. a pattern. Um, John Pricey Price. You know, we had... Gom, Montgomery, Montgomery Gom. We have now John Pricey Price. Pricey. He that's re- that's easier to say, first of all, than Gom. And also... It is a mouthful. I get Pricey. Yeah. So do you think when she left the first John, she said to him, you know, what can I say? The price is right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, probably. I mean, you can't pass up a... A good Bob Barker reference always does the trick. Yeah, it was... Oh, it definitely was by that 90s, point, 90s, right? yeah, 90, yeah. Oh, yeah. 93. Bob Barker's, like, was he's... really old. Yeah, was he... I assume he was... I don't remember when he died. It was 2000s he died. Bob Barker? He's not dead. Is he not? No! <laughs> don't kill Bob Barker for me! I could have sworn don't he died. Don't kill Bob Barker. No, 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 no. He's still spaying and neutering animals as we speak. He's got a clinic going on right now. You think with the arthritis and everything that he's able to snip? Arthritis? He's old. He's got to have arthritis. Does everyone get arthritis? Yeah, probably. Hmm. <laughs> uh, John Pricey Price. Where were we? He was a father of three, and he was known as a terrific bloke. You know, that's what I want on my headstone. Terrific bloke? Francis, here's Lies Francis. A terrific bloke. So John was divorced in 88, and he had a two-year-old with his wife and two others, or two-year-old, his two-year-old daughter stayed with his wife, and the two other kids that he had came with him when he moved, or married uh, Catherine. Uh, Catherine moved in in 1995, and the kids apparently liked her, but I mean, there was still some fighting, probably like, you're not my mom, you can't tell me what to do, kind of thing. In 1998, 
Actually, um, I just I said they had been married. They had not been married yet because in 1998 they fought over his refusal to marry her. Mm. Um, and in turn, she sent a videotape of him and the things that he had stolen, quote unquote, from his boss. Oh. Which ended up just amounting to some out of date medical kits and stuff he had scrounged out of like the trash. Oh, like this first aid kit's no good. The ibuprofen's a few months out of date. Yeah, I can I can take this, and you know, obviously they don't care, so. <laughs> That's some that's some blackmail, wow. Um, yeah, so just like basic trash from work, and he was fired over that. Oh, because he had well, I mean, yeah, s- stolen it. No, I think that's fair. So he was fired from a job that he had had for seventeen years. Wait, it was out of the trash though. Yeah, it was all this like refuse and stuff that the company didn't. It was all out of date. Like, and it was it already in the trash? You know, you don't know these details. I just, it was in the trash. That's not fair. I have. Um, well, I found that he's out of date, mostly out of date medical stuff that he had scavenged. Oh. So yeah, she got him fired from a job he had had for 17 years. Oh God. And then word spread around of what she had did or what she had done. And that kind of, you know, threw some, I don't know, shade on her for, you know, being a trash human. Now the shade's coming because she got someone fired. Yeah. Not because she slid a puppy throat. Yeah. And also because of this, he then kicked her out because he's like, you know, I was, I was making good money and yes, you're done. Yes, David. Yes. Uh, John. John. John Pricey Price. <laughs> Sorry. John oh, Pricey Price. Pricey. Huh? A few months pass and then he's back with her. Mm. So they had a little breathing room. You know, they had to take a break. But at this point, because she had gotten fired, she's not allowed to live with him or live with him and his daughters. So they're setting some ground rules mm-hmm. to start. In uh, February 2000, 2000, so now we're in this century, a series of assaults against Price uh, culminated with Catherine stabbing him in the chest. You know, she had done that before. Right, uh, with scissors. Yep. Uh, so on February 29th, he's like, this is it. Um, she lost. She got me fired from my job. She just stabbed me. You know, she's we fight um, infrequently, but still, I got to get a restraining order against her. Yeah. So he goes and does that on February 29th. Uh so he told his friends after getting a restraining order that if they didn't hear back from him, that she was probably she probably had killed him. Wow. And they're like, "Don't why even why are you even like telling us this? Don't go back to your house. Don't even deal with any of this." He's like, "I have to go back because I fear that she's gonna like do something to my kids if yeah. I don't go back." Yeah. So he went back to his house, and you know nothing happened immediately that night. Catherine Knight then showed up at Price's house while he was sleeping. She let herself in. I guess she didn't. He didn't change the locks for oh, whatever reason. And she still had a key. Yep. She then watched some TV, <laughs> sitting on his couch in a house she's not supposed to be in, watching some TV. And then she went upstairs and woke him up and is like, "You want to go around?" So they had sex, and he went back to sleep. What? And then uh, she stabbed him in the uh, the chest with a butcher's knife. What? He said. Yes, after yep. getting a restraining order. Restraining order against her. She had apparently purchased a new set of lingerie, and mm. maybe that would, that's what enticed him. She, maybe she was maybe she was good in bed or something. I mean, she did have three kids with three different men, and then four they ca- kids with three men. Yeah, they kept coming back. So, so at this point, she stabbed people in the chest before this one was for real. For real, with an actual knife, not a pair of scissors, yeah, and died. Um, he is not dead yet. Okay. He uh, he got stabbed, um, and apparently had made it out the uh, out, out of his front door, 
and then before she dragged him back in or he stumbled back into the house but it from like blood trails they can see that he got was able to get out of the house and then ended up coming back or ending up back in the house so uh neighbors became concerned the next morning when his car was still in the driveway um he didn't show up to work so the boss sent around a co-worker to go check in on him um and together with the neighbors they discovered some blood and that raised some suspicions oh yeah you know they had told his friends you know i'm probably gonna die tonight um and the cops would go into the house and find out that he would eventually have bled out in the hallway after being stabbed in the chest mm. where are his kids his kids were not at the house at the time clearly um saw some reports that Catherine had sent them away to like a neighbor's house or a friend's house to like have a sleepover so oh. she it was possible some premeditation there interesting well yeah there's definitely premeditation what are you talking about well i don't know if she she wanted to kill him she brought a butcher's knife to the party well i mean they probably had a butcher's knife in his house and maybe like she, although her, yeah she did have her special was a butcher special set of knives she kept above the bed right so police uh, investigating the house determined he had been stabbed 37 times mm. um mostly in the front and back and a few of them piercing vital organs mm. so she went in real deep with those cuts so a few hours after John had been stabbed 37 times in the hallway and eventually bled out in his own house, um, Catherine apparently skinned him and hung his skin up in the hall- uh, hallway doorway on a meat hook that I guess she had brought with her. So yeah, oh. all this, all this pent up rage she had probably just all came out at once. Oh, gosh. Yep. Oh, okay. Um, yep. So yeah, now he's been skinned. She then also decapitated him, mm. and then cooked parts of his body, serving his meat with baked potatoes, pumpkin, zucchini, cabbage, and gravy. And ate it. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> also on the table, among all those, that beautiful display of human meat. And... Oh, the police found it. Oh yeah, they they found all this. Okay. There were two place settings at the table, both labeled with the child's names, the kids' names of John. John's like two kids that were living with mm. him. So she intended to feed John to the kids, mm. it seems like. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, not, not great. Uh, the police also found a third meal in the back lawn that she possibly intended to eat but couldn't, so she just like threw it out onto the lawn. And then John's head was found in a pot with vegetables. She was making his head into a stew. Yeah. Oh. An elector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Catherine would continue to arrange John's body at the table. So a skinned human body, headless, at the table. She propped him up in a chair and then had put his arm around a bottle of soda. Just like casually, I guess he's like sitting at the table <laughs> drinking a beer or something. I don't. I'm not really oh, sure. God. I didn't want to look up pictures of that. Just a meat suit? No, there can't be pictures. I mean, there's a crime scene. There's probably photos of that no, somewhere. No, no, I don't want to see a meat suit. Um, she then also left a note on the table next to his body that was covered in bloods and blood and bits of flesh that she, in which she claimed that John had raped her daughter, but no evidence of, the, of this was ever found. So it's. Seems like she maybe would have been like trying to like self defense her way out of it right. or something, but you can't really self defense skinning a body. No, and putting his head in a pot. No, 
Um, Catherine was found on the floor in the dining room, having taken a bunch of pills. So she tried to kill herself afterwards, but she was revived. I just thought of a really bad, dark joke. Yeah. That it brings a new definition to the word pothead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know I'm going yeah, to hell. That is, that is I'm going to hell. a great joke. I'm going to hell. We know. Yeah. I've, I've heard. We are doing a podcast talking about murder and stuff. So, you know, it's probably already a check mark on qualifiers. Yeah. So, obviously, the police got her at this point. Um, she In court, she pled not guilty initially. And that ended up changing her verdict to guilty. And her defense team was, the entire team was planning on using uh, amnesia and disassociation defense on that. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, Courts and court psychiatrists eventually determined that she was sane and enough to stay in trial. Right. Um, there was never any reason why she changed from not guilty to guilty. Just maybe she just wanted to go with this. something she did, but she's still never accepted responsibility for her actions. Oh, so there's who knows. Hmm. Um, during the trial, it got to the part where she skinned, talking about skinning John's body, she um, became hysterical and needed to be sedated. Oh, boy. So maybe she was oh. not all the way there. Interesting. So due to the severity and lack her lack of remorse, she was uh, sentenced to life without parole. Um, this was the first woman in Australia to ever have this sentencing. That's a long time span for her criminal actions yeah um, we started in like the 80s early 80s right yeah when she started being crazy yeah i guess the, in school she was well, you know, right, assault against like... kids and stuff but wow in june 2006 she appealed the life sentence but was ultimately denied and then like i said she was the first woman in australia to be sentenced to life without parole wow so that is Catherine knight or as some people, and apparently Australian media, have called her Hannah Lecter. Huh. Wild. Well, that was a that was a tale. Uh, and I wish I could say that my my story was less of a doozy, but the uh, listeners are gonna really hate us this week. Yeah, episode one was a uh, a little league. Yeah, I know. And I have I talked to my parents, and they were both like, oh. I'm really upset about the story. And I said, whew, you don't even know what's coming then. So my story is about Albert Henry DeSalvo, which I'm sure a lot of people know. Do you know his name? This is one I don't. Do you know the Boston Strangler? Maybe in passing. Yeah, okay. That's kind of how I was. I think there's probably going to be a lot of people who know it. It's a really well-known case. And it's really gruesome. And is that? Did you learn about the Boston Strangler when you were living in Boston? No, thank God. My car got broken into in Boston, and that was enough of crime for me. So I'm glad I also didn't know that this existed. Granted, it was way before my time, but it's really bad. And I just want to say before I get into it, it has a lot of really bad sexual elements. Okay. So I just, I just want people to be prepared. Right. Let's take it back to 1931, September 3rd, in Chelsea, Massachusetts. 
<laughs> and she's back for the fort. That's Callisto. You can just, yeah, just lay there. Good. She's, uh, needy. So if you hear a little chirping, first of all, it's adorable. You're welcome. A little levity. Second of all, she's gonna probably make noise because she wants to be in the fort. Anyway, Chelsea, Massachusetts, September 3rd, 1931. Albert DeSalvo was born. His father was a very violent alcoholic. It's reported that he knocked out all of his mother's teeth and bent her fingers backwards until they broke. At one time or? Yep. Yep. This was in one fight. And he did this all in front of his children. The teeth and the fingers or? Yeah. Okay. He was kind of trying to make a point to his kids like, don't mess with me. This is what happens. So he was pretty awful. And so that kind of scarred Albert, and then he started having the urges that many killers have. Kill animals? Yes, exactly. I hate it. So he used to torture and kill animals for enjoyment. In particular, he would target out cats. Okay. Street cats or... I think he would just... Yeah, I don't think he had a plethora of cats in his own house. I don't know if he went to his friend's house. (laughs) Oh, God. They might not be friends after that. Yeah, so he would just find cats and he would kill them. After he, I mean, while he was killing cats and torturing them, he would also shoplift and steal in his early adolescence. You know, that's a typical crime that teenagers go to. And he got really skilled at breaking and entering. He was, like, pretty proud of it. Okay. At 12, he was arrested for battery and robbery. And then he got sent to the Lyman School for Boys. So the Lyman School for Boys, you know, I did a little research into it because I was a little bit skeptical of it. I was like, kind of sounds like it could be a bad place. I don't know. The school for boys or the school for girls, for some reason to me, sounds like a nefarious location. It was the first reform school in the United States, period. Okay. And it was religious-based. And, you know, for the most part, it was thought to be a pretty good system for boys to you know get a a hold of whatever they were doing at home however some of the boys in the school went missing throughout the years and it was never discovered whether they ran away or if some of the workers killed them because there were some workers that worked there that were kind of iffy so teachers or like handymen like yeah like janitorial staff that kind of thing so it's possible that it was a nefarious location but it's, it's not clear. He got through the Lyman School for Boys, went back home. Then at 15, he was arrested for stealing a car, and he was sent back to the Lyman School. So okay. they thought he had done a good job at school. Guess not. Then later, after he went back home, he became very sexually active with both sexes and found that he had a sex drive that he just couldn't satisfy at all. And what age was this? This was in his late teens. Okay. So he was having sex with both males and females and just wasn't getting enough of it. In the middle of his life, when he was an older man, not old, but like older than teens, he, after he got back from the Lyman school, he joined the army and thought that this would be a good path for him. And he served in the forces in Germany. So in that regard, thanks, I guess, 
but I'm sure he was also then able to express his killer yeah, needs. Yeah. And he also met his wife in Germany, okay. whose name was, I'm sorry, Ermgard. <laughs> Spelled, I assume, as you would imagine. I R M G A R D. Ermgard Beck, which I want to just call Ermgard Beck. Yeah, I was thinking of the. <laughs> The meme, the old cultural meme. I saw that. I was like, Ermagerd. Ermagerd Burks. Yeah, so she, he met his wife, Ermgard, and they got married. But then he was discharged for the army from the army for disobeying orders, so he got sent back home. To him, though, this was not okay. He didn't think he deserved to be discharged for the army. So he re-enlisted, even though he was discharged, and he did he did make it back in, but then at age 22, he was charged with molesting a nine-year-old girl, and then got honorably discharged from the army. Let's just give a round of applause to the army for honorably discharging him because he molested a nine-year-old. That's honorable. Yeah. Honor. Yeah. I mean, come on. He's doing his country proud. I mean, come on. Honorably discharged? Honorably discharged. I saw that and I was like, did I read it wrong? And I read it again and no. Okay, so at this point, he's been through the army twice. He's done. In 1955, that same year where he was charged with molesting a nine-year-old... He and Ermagerd had their first child, who had significant disabilities, and this caused great strain on the marriage. She, his wife, Ermgard, mm-hmm. knew how high his sex drive was when she married him, but she was terrified of having another child that had disabilities. They were working super hard to raise the kid, and she didn't want another one. Another kid. She didn't want another kid, period, but she especially didn't want to have to deal with the situation of having two kids with disabilities, and she thought that, you know, if they had another kid, it definitely would happen. I assume contraceptive was out of the question. She's not going to be like, put on a condom this time? Yeah, I mean, he's probably a pretty overpowering personality, since he really wanted to be the army, and he killed cats and things like that, so I can only imagine that maybe he wasn't great to her. So she stopped having sex with him. I'm sure that went exactly as she planned. Well, it you know, to be honest and to like go past where I am right now, it didn't really end up affecting her at all. Okay. So it did kind of go to her plan. She had her kid. She had her husband. Mm-hmm. They weren't having sex, but they weren't having more kids. But obviously... That's not going to fly with him. Yeah. He already knows he's got a problem. Well, maybe he doesn't think it's a problem, but he knows he's addicted. So, DeSalvo's not getting any sex from his wife, so he starts up this con. And it's called The Measuring Man. That's what it's referred to now. This ruse involves him going to apartments of women... So, like, figuring out women that live places, maybe don't have jobs, things Mm -hmm. like that. Live alone or in a woman's house or whatever. Mm -hmm. He would knock on their doors, 
and he would re- represent a modeling agency looking for talent. And he said, I'm going to pay $40 an hour, which like, this is 1931. Yeah. I would do well. A lot for $40 an hour. That makes me sound pathetic, but like $40 an hour is a lot now. $40 an hour back then? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people were jumping at the bit for an opportunity like that. These housewives, right? I like to think they're the modern day pyramid scheme ladies where Mm -hmm. they're like, I wish I could do something more with my life. And they're like, hey, this guy's going to pay me $40 an hour. So he's preying on things that probably are easy to prey on. Mm -hmm. So he would show up with his measuring tape so he could look legit. And he would ask them to take their measurements. And while he took their measurements, he would touch them as much as he possibly could. Like push the boundaries as far as possible until they complained about it. Mm -hmm. And most of them were just totally fine. He said... When he got interviewed later in life, some of them were even completely willing to take their clothes entirely off. But he said that during this ruse, he never actually attacked any women. Okay. Which... Okay, so we just have to take his word on that one, I guess. Yeah. And also, I think that even though you're not physically attacking people by, like, sexually assaulting them or whatever, in the, like, intercourse sense, by going... And touching them, that, to me, counts yeah. as attacking them. Yeah, it does. So, that's stupid. But he, in his mind, he never attacked any of them. Well, also, back in the 30s, that probably was... I mean, I guess they didn't I guess, have the terms for sexual assault, right. I assume. Our dictionary has expanded in that way a lot, which is nice. During this entire time, he's touching these women, he's taking measurements and whatnot. Mm -hmm. His wife is still not having sex with him, and he's still not having sex with anyone. So he's getting really frustrated. So, obviously, it's going to escalate. Yeah. This is when the green man enters the scene. So he goes by a lot of names. The green man involves his desire for sex becoming aggressive and violent. Like when he the Hulk Green Man? <laughs> or like, It's Always Don't... Sunny in Philadelphia Green Man? Well, I've never seen It's Always Sunny. Yeah, it's basically just a guy in a green suit. No. I mean, it's closer to that. Okay. How dare you put my Bruce Banner, Mark Ruffalo, in a bad position. Don't associate Nobody him. puts Bruce in a corner? Don't, as- <laughs> Don't associate Bruce with this at all. Yeah, so he becomes aggressive and violent because he can't control his sexual tendencies and he needs more. He continues to go to women's apartments to find models, but then he starts to rape them. So he ties them up, and he sexually assaults them. And the reason that he's called the green man is because when he goes to everyone's apartments, he's always wearing green pants. Interesting. Did he ever give a reason for that? No. No. Just did. So he's... Going to all these women's house, he's considered a mass rapist at this point. But at this, at, in the same juncture, he's still not satisfied. So in 1962, his frustration grows to the point where he attempts his first murder. Okay. So he goes in as the measuring man, a.k.a. the green man, because he's not just measuring anymore. He's wearing his green pants. 
DeSalvo is going to all these women's houses. He's claiming that he's the measuring man. I mean, he's not calling himself that, but he's wearing green pants and therefore is the green man, as he's later known. He's measuring them, then tying them up and raping them. But like I said, he was becoming more aggressive and violent. And in June 1962, he got so frustrated with his lack of sex life and everything that was going on that he attempted his first murder. So he ties this woman up in her apartment and then sees himself in the mirror and just runs out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fast forward to October 27th, 1964. He's still doing the same ruse. He enters another woman's house, begins to sexually assault her, and then attempt to murder her, and then says, I'm sorry, and leaves. Assumedly for the murder attempt part. Right. And then this woman in 1964 is able to give a great description of him, and other women say, hey, you know what? That's the guy I Mm, saw as well that came into my apartment. I assume all these other women had gone into the police station at some point. Or... I mean, it's hard to say. He was a mass rapist. This was tons of women. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, like, because you said other other women were then able to come forward. Do they just then hear about it and are like, well, that sounds sim- something similar to something that, like, I experienced? Or I think it's probably a mix. I think some people probably went in. I know that it's hard for women to come forward about this topic. It's, in 2019, still hard for justice to come for the victim yeah yeah. but it's not an easy thing to come forward and talk about for one and it just always it often backfires it it gets ugly and people don't believe you and etc etc so it's probably a mixed bag some women probably came forward some women probably didn't okay but then a lot of people come forward they say the same description and he gets arrested as the green man so that's the green man he's in jail now i'm gonna backtrack a little bit just i want you to compartmentalize the green man situation all these mass rapes between 1962 june 1962 which is that time he saw himself in the mirror Mm -hmm. and october and january 1964 which is the same around the same time that he said i'm sorry and ran out and the woman got him arrested he had a few other things going on A.K. murders. So between June 1962 and January 1964, 13 women between the ages of 19 and 85 were murdered and then linked together under the name of the Boston Strangler. Okay. So I'm going to go through the victims and the timeline. Okay. Victim number one was in June of 1962, the beginning. Her name was Anna Slezers, and she was 55 years old. So he didn't, and when I said before 19 to 85, he didn't really have a type. Female. Right. That was his type. Okay. I mean, that's still a type. I mean, it is to a certain extent, but it's interesting that he didn't have a type. And later in interviews, they were like, why, why did you kill people that were 80? And he said, you know, it was never about the looks. Hmm. She just needed to satisfy this desire that he had. Okay. So Anna was discovered by her son which was really unfortunate. And she was discovered with a cord around her neck tied in a bow. And at the beginning, he assumed it was, her son assumed it was suicide. However, she was completely naked and had been sexually assaulted. Also, 
her belongings from her purse and things were strewn across the floor. But he called the police anyway, and they were like, well, this is not right. But nothing was actually taken from the purse. All of her valuables were still there, her jewelry, etc. So they just determined that it was a burglary gone gone wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay. Victim number two was on June 28th, 1962. So this is two weeks later. Her name is Mary Mullen, and she's 85 years old. Okay. She was found dead on her couch. And when DeSalvo was interviewed later after he was incarcerated, he said that she died in her his arms. And actually, the autopsy determines that she did have a heart attack and died. And they presume that she died because she was so scared and she's okay. old and her heart gave out. I was going to say, also, I assume strangling somebody could also... She say, had no ligature marks or she wasn't sexually assaulted. I'm saying that if his first victim, him strangling her, she would also be dying in his arms. Yeah. Potentially. But she died of a heart attack. Okay. Victim number three was found on June 30th, 1962. So this is two days later. Her name is Nina Nichols and she's 68 years old. Okay. She was found on her bedroom floor wearing only a torn robe and she had two stockings tied in a bow around her neck. So he's got an MO. He's a strangler, but beyond strangling, he ties them in a bow very frequently. And like many of his victims, she was also sexually assaulted, except this time she was sexually assaulted with a wine bottle. And like Anna Slezers, the first victim, precious objects of hers were strewn about, but nothing was taken. So he's trying to make it look like a botched burglary again. Yeah, okay. He doesn't actually care about any of that. He's really just here for the, you know, sexual release. Victim number four was also found on June 30th, 1962. So this is the same day. Her name is Helen Blake, and she's 65 years old. She was found face down... In her apartment with a stocking and bra tied around her neck in a bow, again. And she suffered extreme lacerations to both her vagina and anus. And so probably used an object then. Right. And, you know, I also wondered when I was reading about this, the bow, I wonder what kind of if any significance it has, like, you know, bows and presents and yeah, yeah. objects and things like that, and just, like, neatly tied up in a bow, here's mm-hmm. your whatever naked woman. So she's got severe lacerations, and he, again, made the scene look like a burglary. And it took until this point... For victim number four, for the police to realize that they probably had a real problem on their hands. Did you say it was about two weeks between the first and now? It was from June 14th to June 30th. So I know it's not a long time span, but four women have died. Mm -hmm. Granted, Mary Mullen died of a heart attack, so it's hard to know that she was part of it. But so in that way... This would be, like, victim number three that was by his hand. Yeah, yeah. 
So he's just become a serial killer okay. by definition. The police have determined this is a huge deal. They've got a psychotic killer, and they start to warn women to, you know, walk in pairs and don't be alone, lock all your windows, lock all your doors, everything like that. August 19th, 1962, the police find Ida Erga, who is 75 years old. She's victim number five. And the person who reported it was her cousin who found her on her back with her pajamas torn to expose her naked body underneath. Mm-hmm. Okay. In this case, and this is super messed up and demoralizing, he took two chairs and used them to spread her legs and hold them apart while he sexually assaulted her. And then he strangled her with a pillowcase. So. Okay. Yeah. So no bow on Ida, though. No. Just a pillowcase. Just choked her. Left the pillowcase. Left her for her cousin to find with the chairs still. Mm-hmm. Okay. Propping her legs. On August 21st, 1962, Jane Sullivan, age 67, was found in her bathtub. Um, face down with her head and forearms covered by water. So she's kind of like got her head on the ground kind of deal, propping up her body with her forearms. And she's also on her knees. And her robe was pulled up to her shoulders and she wasn't wearing anything on the bottom half of her body. And it turns out that she had actually been dead a week when the police found her and she was again strangled by stockings so he's using things that he finds around he's not bringing anything with him he's just using their objects and for the first murder the son believed it it was suicide so i don't know i i I find it hard to believe that he would think that the police would believe that i mean i guess you don't want to believe your mother has been murdered so yeah and he was i go to that i can't imagine the shock yeah. Right. You don't want to find your mom dead, but you especially don't want to find your mom dead like that. Yeah. So Jane Sullivan was just completely objectified. You know, it's just a horrible position for her to be in. And she's 67 years old. And we're only halfway there. Ugh, I know, I know, I know. Just keeps getting better. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm so sorry, but it's just this, this stuff has to be talked about. And I mean, it doesn't have to be talked about, but I am of the firm belief that sexual crimes should be discussed. They're an issue. I'm not going to preach, but still. Anyway, we get a little bit younger at this point. On December 5th, 1962, Sophie Clark, age 20, is discovered, murdered. She's on her back. She's strangled by her stockings with torn clothing. And she was sexually assaulted again. And for the first time out of any of the murders, there is seminal fluid found at the site. Interesting. Yeah. So there, it's, yeah. Before it was obvious that they had sexually assaulted the victims. But in this case, there was seminal fluid in the murder site. December 31st. 1962. Happy New Year. Um, Patricia Bissett, age 23, does not show up to work. 
So her boss calls somebody who works in her building and says, hey, like, this is not like Patricia. Can you go check? And the janitor of the building finds her covered up by sheets to her neck, so she's not completely exposed. But underneath the sheets, she's pretty much naked again. Has been strangled by her blouse and three stockings, so he used a lot this time. Was also sexually assaulted, and then when they did the autopsy, they also found that she was pregnant. So she's like, two, I think she was one or two months pregnant at this point. She may have not also known at that point, though, right? It's possible. I would like to think that she didn't. Well, yeah. I'd like to think that she didn't because... One or two before you know, right? Right. Yeah. On March 6th, 1963, so now we're in the next year, Mary Brown, age 69, is found in her apartment. Her head's covered with a sheet, and she has been raped, strangled, beaten in the head, and stabbed in the breasts with a fork that was left in her chest. So he's unraveling, to say the least. Unraveling, or she put up a fight more so than others, and he had to... 69. 69. Spicy, I don't know. 69. So, she's got a fork in her chest. On May 6, 1963, Beverly Sammons, age 23, is found stretched out on her bed naked. She has been stabbed and strangled. Her hands are tied behind her. Two scarves and a stocking are tied around her neck. That's what strangled her. And a piece of cloth was over her mouth, concealing a cloth that he had stuffed in there. So he's just going off the rails of what he normally did, which yeah. was rape women and strangle them. So now he's doing all sorts of stuff. Trying to throw the authorities off? Who knows? I'm not sure. But as I mentioned, she was stabbed, and that was the cause of her death. There were four stab wounds in her neck. And at least 15 on her chest in the shape of a bullseye. So he's putting thought into this. And he's not worried about time. No. It's not a blitz attack. I mean, she's tied up. She's young. He's a middle-aged male. He just found that leaving this mark was important to him. So after Sammons is found raped and strangled and stabbed, the police decide to take a new course of action. You know, your investigation's not working right. You're on victim number 10. And you have nothing. You have nothing. Why not hire a clairvoyant? Right? I mean, let's go. I mean, I don't know. The clairvoyant... I don't have a lot of notes on the clairvoyant, except, like, the clairvoyant was like, this is a person with a troubled past and has a lot of issues. And I'm sure the police department guys are like, yeah, this is some good shit. And yeah. scribbling it down. <laughs> they pull out their, like, handy-dandy notebooks from Blue's Clues, and they're like, what? A troubled past. A sad visage. Oh, no. This narrows it down. Yeah. Yeah, so they hired a clairvoyant. Man, they're doing great. 
Good stuff. On September 8th, 1963, so this is the same year, but it's four months later, Evelyn Corbin, age 58, is found with her own underwear stuffed inside her mouth. Okay. Traces of seminal fluid all over her body, and she was raped and strangled with stockings. And he hasn't done it in a while, but on victim number 11, he decides to do the old spread your belongings across the floor trick to throw off a scent of the police or whatnot. I mean, I'm not sure how it helps him at this point, but he does the same thing. November 23rd, 1963. Does that date make you think of anything? 11-23-63? Kennedy's assassination? It's the day after Kennedy's assassination. 11-22-63. Yeah, Mm. I I didn't realize... But the it's funny. I take my information from a lot of different sources, encyclopedias, news sites, etc. for when I do my research. And the one I found for all the victims' information, they started off each victim with a paragraph about what was happening at that time. So they were like, November 23rd, 1963. The country is reeling from assassination. Gas prices are like 35 mm-hmm. cents. I don't know, something ridiculous and hokey. And I was like, really? Why Why put that when these women are also getting... Murdered. Murdered and assaulted. Anyway, so yeah, the day after JFK's assassination, Joanne Graff, age 23, is found with two stockings tied in a bow around her neck, teeth marks on her breasts, and lacerations around her vagina. On January 4th, 1964... So this is about two years since the beginning of his uh, killing streak. Mary Sullivan, age 19, is found strangled with a stocking and two scarves. And he had stuck a Happy New Year's card between her feet. She was naked, had semen all over her body, and had been sexually assaulted with a broomstick. Mm -hmm. Side note, this one was kind of inconclusive as to whether or not he did it. I'll talk about his arrest and everything, but they weren't sure if he actually, you know, assaulted and murdered this woman. But in 2013, his body was exhumed, and I'm spoiling it, he's dead, but his body was exhumed, and his DNA that they got from his body had a match to the semen found on hers. But he never admitted to it? We'll get there, but just so you know, there's DNA evidence. Unfortunately, at the time, there wasn't that great DNA evidence, so they didn't know. So he's committed 13 murders. Six to go? No, there were only 13. Oh, they said 19. No. God, no. He's committed 13 murders. At this point, the state of Massachusetts brings in the Attorney General, Edward Brooke, who actually happened to be the only African-American attorney general at the time. So he was the first. And he was called in to help solve the crimes that were taking place in Boston. And luckily for the police, who have nothing except the clairvoyant telling them that he had a troubled past, like I said, way before, on October 27th, 1964, he breaks into a woman's house, assaults her, Mm -hmm. apologizes, and runs away. And she gets a good look at him. So then she describes him, and he gets arrested for the Green Man rapes. At this point, though, they don't actually think that he's tied to the murders at all. 
they think he's tied to all the ruse issues that are happening with the, the modeling agency that's paying $40 an hour. So they don't know this. They just bring him in for that. But he just confesses. He just says, oh, by the way, I'm the Boston Strangler. So in between this, you're saying he was doing all the measuring man and green man stuff? Yeah, he's in between just the murders moon, and stuff? moonlighting as that the entire time. Okay. He's just sporadically killing women. And by sporadically, I mean sometimes two a day, sometimes mm-hmm. four months in between. The entire time, he's still being the green man. Okay. So he says, I'm the Boston Strangler, and the police just don't believe him. They think he's got a big ego and a big personality, and they're like, okay. Did you tell him that his trouble passed? <laughs> do you see my worried visage? Look into my eyes. Do you see sadness? So they don't believe him, and unfortunately also part of his confession was received through hypnosis. Okay. So that was kind of like... It deemed in- inadmissible. Yeah, they're like, we don't really buy that. Even though they bought the clairvoyant. I don't know. Whatever. But... Nevertheless, even though he says he's a Boston Strangler, nobody believes him. He goes to prison for the Green Man rapes. Okay. So he's in prison. And he mates his BFF, George Nasser, who is also in for homicide. Cool guy. Any relation to Larry Nasser? Who's that? That gymnast doctor. Oh, God. I don't know. The one that was just arrested? Yeah, the U.S. women's gymnastics doctor. I don't know. Probably not. I don't know. George Nasser is a bad guy, too. But then DeSalvo says to Nasser, listen, dude, I'm the Boston Strangler. And Nasser is like, oh, shit. Yeah, okay. And he buys it mm-hmm. because you're in jail. Like, you're probably in jail for nefarious purposes. Yeah. And at the you know at this point the boston straggler hasn't actually been caught so there's like reward money and things like that and the two of them hatch up this plan they're like let's get the reward money for our families so you know i'm the boston strangler now you give a tip to the police we'll split the reward money and send it to our families so how that works can you receive reward money in prison They were set on this being the plan. They wanted their families to be, you know, well off for the rest of their lives and everything like that, which, good for them. Poor Ermagerd is still just, like, in the dark. I was going to say, did she have any inkling? When he was arrested for the Green Man rapes, she was baffled. Baffled. She was like, no, no. What? Did she think he was doing to make money? Do we know? I'm not sure of his title of his actual profession. She's like, money's coming in? Or somehow I'm getting money? Well, but he's not getting money from it. So how? They just... He's got a job. He's doing this and offering to pay models. Okay. Yeah, I'm just wondering like, what he tells her when he goes out to do this stuff. I'm assuming he has a job some of the time. And he's a measuring man slash green man other times. And he's a Boston Strangler at other, other times. And she's just taking care of this child who has severe disabilities and hating her life. Okay. And maybe wishing she was back in Germany. So they want this reward money to split between their two families. And DeSalvo has this great plan that he's going to make himself seem insane 
so that when they find out that he's a strangler, he doesn't go to prison. He goes to a hospital instead. So people find out that he is associated with these things and people are starting to believe him more and more. But there's just this big wall of people not believing him because one, the hypnosis bit. Yeah. And two, there's no real concrete DNA evidence. Because DNA is really not. Right. Easily available or usable. Yeah. So there's no real concrete way to test it. So there's no physical evidence tying him to the scenes. So he's, he's like left no trail besides his semen and nobody really believes him. And some people have tried to pick him out of a lineup and in terms of like leaving the apartment of a murdered woman woman and they're kind of sure they're kind of not. And it's just all very gray and he's just kind of skirting by and his conviction ends up being on all counts of the green man rapes, but he was not charged for any of the strangulations. And you might say, well, maybe it wasn't him. There are a lot of families that still believe that it wasn't him. Like I said, though, in 2013, it was determined that he was the last... It was the murderer for the last victim. And also, when he was trying to convince police that it was him, he had so many details that weren't released. Like, the minute details. I was reading articles about it, and he would just go through and name certain pieces of furniture in the room or like the color of a lamp or things like that. I was going to say, those are things you would go to like prove that you did it outside of DNA. You tell the police details they never published. Yeah, he was like, there was a yellow kettle on the stove in the kitchen where I left the body. And like he would say all this stuff. And they're like, well, maybe he's just fabricating it. But like... It's how do you fabricate the exact details? You don't. For whatever reason, they just didn't like him for the crime, so they never. They didn't, and the hypnosis really screwed it. Like maybe don't use hypnosis to get a confession. He was really ready to confess anyway, but mm-hmm. he was like in duress when they got him in and they put him under that. Yeah. So, in 1967, so just to recap, in case you forgot, he was brought in in 1964 or in 1967 he's been in prison for a while for green man rates 1967 he was sentenced to life in prison this is when he got convicted for all of those sentences and yet he escaped prison solid with two inmates larry nasser george george nasser <laughs> no no not george so they weren't they weren't bffs i guess and they never got the money either Maybe that's why they weren't BFFs. Bummer. So two other inmates and he escape. But three days after escaping, and I think this guy's got some severe demons because he calls a lawyer and says, this is where I am. I need to go back to prison. So he's got a lot going on. So he goes back to security prison. Maximum security prison, excuse me. He goes back to prison. And then... He recants everything he said. On the advice of his lawyer or just? No, I think he's just trying to fuck with people. Okay. He goes, I'm the strangler. And they all know he's the 
rapist, but he goes, I'm the strangler. I escaped from prison. Please bring me back to prison. Just kidding, I'm not the strangler. So he's just playing mind games. So he says, you know what? I didn't commit any of those murders. And he just takes back everything he said. On November 25th, 1973, so 67, he escapes from prison, and then three days later goes back, Mm -hmm. and then recants everything he's ever said, and is now just the green man rapist. Right. November 25th, 1973, DeSalvo is found in the prison infirmary, stabbed to death. So he was brought to the infirmary, already stabbed to death? No, he was in the infirmary. And then was stabbed to death in the infirmary? Right. And the reason that they think he was stabbed was because he was getting amphetamines from the infirmary and he was selling them at a lower price than... Okay, so he, he wasn't already in the infirmary for some other previous no. injury. He was in there for... Amphetamines. Stealing. Right. He was in the infirmary, he was getting amphetamines, and he was known to be selling them at a lower price to some inmates than, like, the higher inmates were okay. charging. So, like, they took out the competition kind right. of deal. Okay. So he was stabbed to death. As of now, like I said, there are still people who doubt that he was in charge, not in charge, that he was actually the perpetrator for all the cases. Some people think that there are enough differences in the MOs to suggest that they were different people. You know, like I said, there's women all over the map in terms of ages. Some had a bow, some didn't have a bow, some had the scattering of stuff. But he, like I said before... You know, he went through every single woman and said so much about each one. So the Boston police is pretty confident that it was him. Confident, but not confident enough to do anything about it. Well, it's hard when you go to court and a lawyer would tear you apart if you said, so how did you learn that he was a strangler? Oh, you had a clock in front of him tick-tocking and he was like, you were getting sleepy? I mean, yeah, I get why... That would be thrown out, but why couldn't you just then also then ask him again, on, not under hypnosis? They did. They just, yeah. And then you don't admit, you don't submit to the court They also thought evidence. that he was, like, unstable and it just... I mean, he's clearly unstable. Oh, yeah. What happened with him and his convictions is ridiculous to me. I'm not sure what they were thinking when they went through with all of it i don't think it came out ideally and i feel bad for the families of the victims who never had someone arrested not that arresting someone fixes anything but it gives you some amount of closure right at least for that one family in 2013 they were like oh this is what happened this is where alex gives me more box wine in my class my cat glass. My class. So that is the disgusting, terrible story of Albert DeSalvo. And when I was re- researching this, I started off just being like, oh, this is awful. And then as I went on, I was just like, oh, my God. And then as I went on, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, no. And this is the episode where I'm like, well, there we go. We had a few viewers, listeners, rather, and they're just going to leave. Yeah, so that was rough. Let's, you know, take a sharp right turn. Do you want to? Sure. All right. So we're going to take a hard right turn and go to the favorite part of our podcast for optimistic and happy folk. 
which is strange things folks utter. Boom, boom. Which is where, like we mentioned in the first episode, we eavesdrop and people do or say ridiculous things and then we bring your spirits back up a little bit. It's on the subject of... Donald the, Trump. No. There's enough to be said about it. It's on the subject of the draft. Okay. Women are now supposed to be Well, this in the is draft. how it came up was I was talking to some of my employees, since I'm a supervisor. Okay. I was talking to some of them about random topics, and one of them mentioned something about, you know, fighting in wars and the draft. And I was like, oh, women are in the draft. And they had a lot to say about the draft. Mm-hmm. They, first of all, they thought the draft was ridiculous. And then they say, quote, our country will never use the draft. It's like the same thing as the sun killing people. The sun could theoretically kill people, but it never does. We theoretically could use the draft, but we never will. And his friend, who's there too, because my staff works in pairs his friend turns to him and goes dude people literally die from skin cancer and the sun all the time that was the stupidest analogy he he said stupidest analogy yeah and i'm just like what he said you know the sun never kills people i'm just my mouth is agape and i'm just thinking to myself Really? Oh, I mean, it's true. The sun has never pulled out a gun and killed somebody. <laughs> People have never died on the surface of the sun, although it, they would immediately. It's true. It's true. But then when his friend is like, you idiot, what are you saying? Then I'm just like, you. Good point. Thank you. Because I'm just sitting there being like, I just, I can't, I can't. So this gives him also then partial exemption for his first half of his statement where he mentioned we would never use the draft. What do you mean? Didn't people get drafted to go to Vietnam? No, like from now on, he said. Oh, okay. He was talking about how we would never use the draft from now on. So he was aware of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he started off by... before Even before that, he started off by saying... That he phrased totally wrong, and he was like, "That's a." When I said that women are now going to be in the draft, he was like, "There's a problem with that," and I was like, "Um, what? There's a problem with women being in the army and the military?" He's like, and his friends like, "What? You have like a problem with women serving in the military? Because, dude, I think they already do." And I was like, yeah, they do. Don't think it. They really do. But then he's like, no, I mean, like, I think maybe some women are going to be opposed to being in the draft and they're going to have a big problem with it. I meant that there's going to be a problem with it, not that there's a problem with women in the military. Women in the military is fine. Really, it's fine. I was like, oh, gosh. I mean, that is like a pretty strong example of feminism, women being a in the draft. Oh, I mean, no. And I said, heck yeah, women in the draft. Sign me up. I've got flat feet, so I think I'm exempt, but I'm not sure if that rule still applies. 
If you have uh, recent surgery, whenever the draft gets called, then you're fine. I had recent surgery. But I do have flat feet, and that used to be a thing. So if Because if I walk for too long, I can't walk. Yeah, so if the, uh, if the draft's coming, just give yourself a little, like, cut or something. Then oh, you go great. to the hospital and get some surgery. Eat uh, cotton balls like they did in Across the Universe. Just all I've seen the movie. Oh, so good. Anyway, that's my strange things that, pe- that folks utter. Hopefully sometime in the future I'll be able to provide oh, you will. a few of these. And sorry for my sexually Charged. assault-heavy story. That was a rough one. I promise next week's will be a little bit better. Thanks for listening to episode two. Yeah, episode two. In the books. In Hopefully, our fort. Yeah, in the... In Fort Royal. Slash Fort Swiffer. Yeah. Um, so if you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, uh, that's at Sad Tales Podcast. And we'd also love if you rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, please subscribe and download and listen. It means a lot to us. We're, we want to give you the best content and we want to keep striving for that. So having your support on iTunes and all of our social media is a big deal. Please tell friends. We're trying to get as many people to listen to us as possible. It's something we're passionate about, so we appreciate that. Anything else to say, Alex? No, we'll be back with you in a week to a couple of days. All right. We'll see you then. All right. Bye. Bye.